So welcome to Plotcast 101. Um, thanks for, if you've been with us since the very first one, thank you. It's been a long road trip. Thanks for sticking sticking it out. If you're just joining us, I hope you uh, enjoy yourself and um, thanks for coming. So in our podcast uh, today, I wanted to talk about um, what's sometimes called consequentialism. And this, uh, this whole issue has been brought to, the f- uh, brought to the forefront by the election of Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump uh, and, and uh, Donald Trump got elected in part because of the massive support that he got uh, from evangelicals. And there, there's been a great deal of weeping and gnashing of teeth and people saying how, you know, uh, evangelicals have totally thrown away their uh, witness because they voted for the uh, what, whatever happened to the character matters uh, argument and so on. So uh, here's the dilemma. Um, and and cons- consequentialism is the, is the view that, well, uh, what matters is the policies that uh, Donald Trump supports, and if he's going to appoint good judges, if he's going to oppo- uh, if he's going to appoint pro-life judges, then we can just hold our nose over his personal affairs and um, and pull the lever and just say I'm I'm voting for these consequences. I'm not voting for him. Uh, and of course, uh, people who did this were also people who held their nose and voted for Trump were also likely to have objected loudly uh, to Bill Clinton and his misbehavior, sexual misbehavior while he was in office and Monica Monica Lewinsky and all of that. And uh, never Trumpers are able to point to evangelical supporters of Trump and say, see, you're just pragmatists at heart. All you're, you know, you're not really principled conservatives. You're not really principled Christians, uh, operating in the realm of politics. You are pragmatists. Um, what matters is the policy, and and of course that uh, that argument can be uh, embellished and developed for quite some time. But the way to the way to interrupt it, the way to make it, um, you know, come up short, is to say, well. Um, what about Martin Luther King? Uh, what about the fact that he was, like Donald Trump, an adulterer? Uh, he was not faithful to his wedding vows. He was unfaithful to his wife the night before he died. Um, a a um, recent biographer has uh, made headlines by saying that we might have to revisit this whole issue of Martin Luther King because of his. Um, illicit affairs, maybe numbering up to 40 um, or, or beyond. And he recounted one incident where um, a supporter of his was raped by another minister, minister in, his orga, in his organization with uh, Martin Luther King laughing, allegedly. Uh, but this is not a hatchet, jo- this is not a, uh, hatchet job by an enemy of King. This is someone who's written approvingly of him in the past and won awards for doing it. And, and he's saying this is uh, kind of gnarly. This is, ba- this is kind of bad. So the question is, the, the people who accuse those who voted for Trump of being consequentialists, people who are pragmatist sellouts, are 
the people who are likely to be supporters of Martin Luther King, who went to the um, who went to the conference, the MLK 50 conference, or supported the MLK 50 conference, and and so this brings up a question: Well, what are we? If you ask the average evangelical, does character matter when it comes to voting? The answer is, of course, it matters. Of course, it matters. Well, how does it how does it matter? Well, I would say a man who would betray his wife in the way that Trump did, and the way that Martin Luther King did, a man who would betray his wife that way would betray anybody. I can't be, you know, if he would betray his wife like that, I can't be shocked and dismayed if he turns around and betrays me. If he he, um, says, yeah, I know I said that in the campaign, or I know I said that when I was trying to get you to join the boycott, but things are different now. I changed my mind. I can't be surprised. If, if, If I know that he's been unfaithful, to uh, his spouse in the most fundamental uh, human relationship there is, then why on earth would I expect him to keep his word to me? And so that was why, uh, that's why I didn't vote for Donald Trump in the first go-round, because I flat didn't believe him. He he said he was going to um, appoint conservative judges, the most conservative, the very best, all the others are losers, you know. so I, because of his lifestyle, because of where he was coming from, I just didn't believe him. And I think I was right to not believe him. Now, as it happens, he's been more or less faithful to his, more, more or less faithful to his word uh, and has appointed the kind of judges that he said he was going to appoint. So that, and, and let's say he does that consistently for four years. I don't have grounds for believing that he won't continue doing it for the second four years. I had good grounds for doubting him the first go-round. But if I knew for a fact, let's, let's put it this way, let's flip it around. If I knew for a fact that, uh, um, let's say, Martin Luther King were still alive and was, you know, he, he was an adulterer and acknowledged, same way it's publicly acknowledged uh, uh, by uh, about Trump, and and I knew that Martin Luther King would vote to overturn Roe v. Wade if he was appointed to the Supreme Court. Would I support? Would I support his appointment to the Supreme Court if I knew that he'd be the sixth vote or the fifth vote that made that happen? Um, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. And someone might say, "Well, is that consequentialism?" I'd say, "Well." It looks like you're pushing in the direction you want things to go. Is it consequentialism to row north if you want to go north? <laughs> yeah. So, continuing with podcast 101, uh, the Greek word, we come now to hamartiology. The Greek word, apatheia, is rendered strikingly as both unbelief and as disobedience. So apatheia is rendered both as unbelief and as disobedience. And when you consider the context of these passages, it is noteworthy that either translation works about as well. Uh, it's, and that's quite striking. In Romans 11, Paul states it this way, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Apatheia. Even so have these also now not believed, 
that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath, God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. And that's Romans 11, 29-32. The same usage is found in Hebrews. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. That's Hebrews 4, 6. Hebrews 4.11, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. But in Ephesians and Colossians, the same word is rendered as disobedience. So in Romans and in Hebrews, the word is rendered as unbelief, and then Ephesians and Colossians, it is rendered as disobedience. And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. So the spirit works in the children of apatheia, children of disobedience. Then Ephesians 5, 6. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. That's Ephesians 5, 6. Again, children of disobedience. In a parallel passage, we see this, Colossians 3, 5, and 6. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So we could show from other places in Scripture that unbelief leads to disobedience, and that disobedience leads to unbelief. All of this is true, but we should also see here that unbelief is disobedience, and that disobedience is unbelief. So, in the book review uh, section of our podcast, podcast episode 101. Uh, I want to review uh, The Man Born to be King by Dorothy Sayers. The Man Born to be King by Dorothy Sayers. Um, C.S. Lewis says somewhere that um, he would read, the, the well, The Man Born to be King is a cycle of radio plays that, uh, that work through the Passion Week. Um, and they are they were written and put together for production um, for the BBC by Dorothy Sayers. And C.S. Lewis says somewhere that he would read through these plays uh, every Passion Week and and always came was moved and edified by the experience. And, and I had taken note of that and, and uh, in the last year or so picked up a, a copy of The Man Born to be King uh, by Sayers and just recently finished it, worked, uh, worked through it. And it, it's just really, really good. It's like reading a script. You're, well, it's not like, I'll put it this way. It's not like reading a script. It is reading a script. So you're reading this book that's uh, configured for a director who's going to be uh, producing and directing these radio plays. And, uh, and it works through, basically works through the life of Christ up through Passion Week, up through his death. And, and uh, resurrection, and uh, it's just really uh, interesting. It's fascinating, and uh, so I'd say 80, 
80 to 90% of it is just right out of the Gospels. It's just um, sayings from the Gospels or things that that uh, Jesus said or did, and it's configured and arranged in a particular way. And then in the, in the 10 to 15 percent or whatever it is that she fills in details, she is um, making plausible conjectures, and nobody um, nobody would think that she's claiming that that part of it has the same weight as Scripture. But she is she is shrewd enough to to make plausible conjectures. So, for example, you can't, she, um, she could not really work through um, Holy Week without figuring out what's, what's making Judas tick. Uh, why, why does Judas betray Jesus? Why does Judas throw the silver down in the temple, and why does he go and hang himself? Um, and she, she shows that um, there was, on she Judas is quite uh, an intelligent disciple and probably gets on one level more of what's going on than any of the other disciples do and then in a spectacular way misses the misses the central thing she uh, can, this is just one example so the um the whole incident where Jesus sending the uh, disciples in to get a get a colt and untie the colt for the triumphal uh, entry, that whole thing is um, a password. So there's a revolutionary in the hills who sees that Jesus is a great, you know, got great potential, and and that if he uh, if he wants the revolutionaries to to descend upon Jerusalem to to fight, then he should say this at the you know, and if he doesn't want it, if he's pa- passing on the opportunity. He should say the other thing, and so he says the other thing, and he because he's going to go to the cross, and he's not going to take up the sword. Well, Judas garbles it. Ju- Judas misreads the situation, and thinks that Jesus is rejecting the way of suffering, and that Jesus is going to conduct a revolution. And so Jesus, Judas, betrays Jesus, believing, on one level, that Jesus betrayed himself and Judas and his disciples. And then when Judas finds out the truth that he had, that the Lord had betrayed nothing, uh, and the whole thing comes unstuck, Judas realizes that he how envious he was of Christ and how uh, eaten up with this sort of thing. He realizes and then refuses to repent, and it's just brilliantly done. And that and you don't have to put Sayers' conjecture in there in you know in the Gospels, but it it really helps make make the gospels um come alive so the man the man born to be king it's a uh, cycle of i think it's 12 radio plays and uh it's available it's in print i highly recommend it not only do i recommend it but c.s lewis and i both recommend it You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.